Hello, and welcome to The Real Writing Process. I'm your host, Tom Pepperdine, and this week, my guest is the best-selling author and screenwriter, Sarah Pinborough. Sarah has been one of my top 10 wishlist guests since the very beginning, so I'm thrilled to have her on the show, especially when she is working on so many exciting things at the moment. I've had screenwriters on the show before, I've had authors with adapted works on the show before, but having an author who is directly involved in adapting one of their most successful books is a fascinating thing to discuss, and we really get into it on this episode. If you're new to Sarah's writing, then Behind Her Eyes is the book that got adapted into the popular Netflix series, definitely worth a read, and its ending is one of the best you'll ever come across. The Death House is a beautiful gothic masterpiece and my personal favourite, and her subversive take on Snow White, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty in the Tales from the Kingdom trilogy are a lot of fun, and I feel showcase Sarah's personality and humour the most. But basically, she's a great writer who has written in a lot of genres and been successful in all of them, and she's really generous with her time and talking through her process today. She's also just struck a six-book deal with Orion, and we discuss that in as much detail as she's allowed. So you'll be seeing and hearing from Sarah a lot in the next few years. And trust me when I say that's a very good thing. Today, though, you get to hear her on this podcast. Apologies for my very clear fanboying in places, but if you know Sarah or her writing, then you know why I did. Anyway, on with the interview. And this week I'm here with Sarah Pembroke. Sarah, hello. Hello. My first question, as always, what are we drinking? Today we are drinking the blood of Christ, or as wise known, red wine. A bit of cheeky red. Lovely. Cheeky well, red. cheers. Cheers. What cheeky red are you drinking? Mine is a Malbec. Oh, I've got 19 crimes, yeah. which is... Uh, yes, I think appropriate. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's one of those very easy, and it's a blend. It's, it's yeah. common as luck. Nice. Like, so like it. It also yeah. sounds like my dating history. <laughs> yes, well, that's not the, the topic of conversation, but we, yeah, maybe, maybe it will have a, an extra cut. Um, so where am I speaking to you now? So, is this where you write? Is this just your front room? This is my sitting room in Milton Keynes, in it. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do have a very big desk over here with a big iMac on it. She never gets used for anything other than that. And I tend to sit on the sofa and write. I mean, I used to, before I had the dog, I would write in bed. And when I'm in Chiswick, I rented a flat in Chiswick for a couple of years as well to try and split my time, which is not working. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really hard to split your time, especially when you've got a dog who I very quickly realized did not like London. You're quite scared of it. But when I'm there, I I work in bed again. And I'm like, oh, I remember this. And I just get up and get a cup of tea and go back to bed and get like a load of work done before anyone else woke up. Whereas now the dog has to have stuff, you know. Yeah, Ted's the priority. Ted is the priority. He's just emerged from his thunder blanket, bless him. Oh, <laughs> oh has, it, has it been quite stormy? Where yeah, yeah, I think okay. there's a bit more coming. Okay. And so you're a laptop writer? Yeah, write? absolutely. Yeah. Well, I've got uh, notebooks, pens. I've got a Remarkable, which I really like editing scripts on. But yeah, mainly notebooks, pens, paper, laptop. I'm quite into, there's a app called Mila Note, and that's quite good for planning yeah. rearranging ideas and i do use that sometimes so i'm getting more and more online but i still have to have a notebook for each project okay so do you like to choose a specific notebook or is it just like you have oh very yeah. specific and the more pretentious i get as i get <laughs> older 
It used yeah. to be I would go into Ryman's and spend hours yeah. staring at the notebooks, and now I go online to the journal shop and I look okay. at their Japanese notebook. I think, oh, I buy this Japanese notebook. This book is just going to yeah. flow. There's going to be no problem whatsoever. And then, you know, yeah. there's a mistake on page one. I think, okay, that's how we're going to carry on. <laughs> but, yeah, um, they, I mean, A4, they, they have to be A4. I can't use small yeah. Are you special about pens? Do you have special pens? Yes, I with? do. I have a Uniball Fine Line and I have black and red. Okay. Don't mess around with any other colours, just black and yeah. red. And do little and, brainstorms yeah. with like either black on the inside, red on the outside, then mix it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say with um, having two colours, because uh, I know Neil Gaiman will write one day in one colour, a second day in another colour to see progress. But is it more you have black as your main and red for edits? Oh, really? I think it just can sometimes separate out ideas on the page. Mm -hmm. So it's very messy. I'm going to actually show you because what really works well on a podcast is to show. <laughs> yeah. But it's sort of like, if you see there. Okay. It, it, it's not linear. There's definitely little not linear, And like, I write like quite small. And so there'll be little boxes with writing. And so it just helps me see what yeah. I might have written. Yeah. And it just looks and, better than just black. It always used to be just black. I don't know when I started in on the red, but that's a um, new edition. Yeah. And you don't have like reds for more important thing. It's just there's too much black on this page. Yeah. I just it. like to mix it up a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Living on the edge, you know, me, yeah. Tom. <laughs> and with the starting of a, a story that you think of a central character and then the world they inhabit, or are you currently exploring worlds? Mm. It's very hard to separate, isn't it? Often, I often come up with a scenario. So like behind her mm. eyes, I had the ending. And then I was like, what kind of people would be in this situation? And then populated that story. Yeah. And with insomnia, again, I kind of had the concept of it. So I think if you're working with supernatural elements or paranormal elements, mm. I think the kind of that, that element of it, that twist part of it maybe comes mm. first and then mm. you build out the characters from there. And, you know, with The Matter of Blood, I remember thinking I wanted to do a retelling of Paradise Lost. And then I was like, who would be the weirdest character to stick in this? Okay, a policeman. And then the characters come to life. But they only really come to life when I give them a name, even though I am epically rubbish at names like there are a lot of wills in my books <laughs> and there was gonna not be a will in insomnia but i realized just before i pressed to action it that find and replace on will in a novel oh of course badly badly wrong <laughs> so um yeah but i think the two very much go hand in hand for most people story and character it's hard to define quite what what comes first? I mean, there, there might be, I guess, if I wanted to write something about an agoraphobic, then I might come up with the character first. But I still think that's almost concept rather than character, yeah. isn't it? Because that's a yeah. part of that person. It's not who that person mm. is. It's something that they deal with rather than who that person is. And with your latest work, we won't go into spoiler details, mm. but was it definitely a concept that grabbed you? With the, latest? the one I'm just editing now? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you for what happened with that, Tomothy. Okay. I was going to write a very different book and I couldn't quite get the story, which was quite a problem when you're trying to write a book. Yeah. You know, and, and I was a bit worried that, like most people, if I read a really great book, I think, oh God, I'll write a really great book. And I'd read a couple of really, really great books. And, and I think I was almost in that arena of trying to mimic, you know, I was trying to yeah. come up. And then I watched a really, really bad film called, I think it was a Patricia Highsmith 
adaptation. Okay. I think I want to say Dark Water or something like that. Okay, and it, yep. that very, very beautiful woman who played Marilyn Monroe. Oh, Anna Diamas. Yes. And it yes. had... Um, ben Affleck? Yes. Yes. Truly atrocious. Yeah. Very watchable tripe, yeah. but it was utterly tripe. And I just then, watching that, thought, oh, my God, I suddenly wanted to write about couples who'd been together a very long time, you know, like in their 30s or whatever, been, but had been together since they were 20. And yeah. all the boredom and irritation that comes along with that. And it's morphed a little bit from there because as I'm editing it, I've changed quite a lot mm. of how it's playing out. But that was what came there. So I, I guess really that was character came first, maybe on this one. Yeah, I think I've definitely seen sort of stories that had a great concept badly mm. executed. Mm -hmm. And I can see how that could They're my book, motivate. <laughs> no, mostly like, Bad films, just cheesy mm -hmm. films. Because they're sold on the concept. Yeah. And that's all the studio cares about is the concept. Because yeah. that's what they'll do the marketing on and the trailer on. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, this one's been a bit of a journey. Okay. Have you had to do much research for it? Try not to bother too much with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not for this one. I think, no, not really. No, it wasn't that kind of book. I had the conceit and th there was a little bit of stuff for a pro plot line that I pulled out that I had to research, which was financial stuff. And then when I got to do the edit after quite a big gap away from it, I looked and I thought, I don't think I want the storyline in it at all, which was a bit of a problem because it was the main storyline, Tom. Right. Okay. Which is now no longer there. Right. So I've taken that out, replacing it. So yeah, this book thankfully isn't coming out till twenty twenty five. So okay, well, at the moment she's there. at the moment because I, I don't normally the... do big edits. This is a whole new ball game. For okay, me. I okay. Hand in my first draft. It yeah. gets a little bit like bring this up, drop that down, and then that's mm. it. But this one's the biggest edit I've done. Okay, and is that driven by your need to make it the best story, or are people telling you no, Sarah? I think there's a bit of both in that while I was writing this book, I also wrote six episodes of Greenlit Television, which quite naively, when people said, you're writing the whole show yourself. And I was like, yeah, how hard could it be? Very hard. And I pressure, you know? So the book wasn't always getting the love it deserved. And also, I was a little in a knot with it because I, I kind of figured that my publisher wanted a psychological thriller, which is what was in my contract. I am bored out of my tiny mind by psychological thrillers these days. Yeah. And so I think that was coming across. And so when the edit came through, it was still quite a big edit. But then I was like, actually, if you strip this out, concentrate on this element. So it's now going to be much more of a gothic novel, which I'm much okay. more excited about. Yeah. It's going to be the closest to a horror novel that I've written in a long time. I was going to say, because you started in horror, you dabbled mm. in fantasy. And then, yeah, you've done oh well, a few police procedurals, but they were kind of dystopian. It was still supernatural, yeah. 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 And you have your, yeah, sci-fi, that horror roots. Because mm. I'm really excited about the Death House adaptation. Yeah, uh, I'm less excited about doing that. I'm just literally looking at it right now. <laughs> but I'm really hoping um, we can get the yeah. director that I'm working with now. I, I think he would be great for it. Mm. So I'm trying to kind of schmooze the producer yeah. together to get that, that done. How is it revisiting your work for adaptation? Well, The Death House has been tricky because it's a character story. Mm. So we've had to instill an engine and it's quite hard to instill an engine 
when it's about kids who are all dying. So we've had to change quite a few bits. I mean, it, it's still the, the key components of it are still there, but we've changed quite a bit of it. And mainly with me, I have to be told to stop changing too much. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I get quite into the yeah. sort of, oh, tell it from a different angle kind of thing. I'm not very precious with it, with the adapting. I mean, with A Matter of Blood in the pilot, it's recognizable as from the book. We've glossed it more because, you know, no one wants too dark right now. And we've had some characters meeting that don't meet. And, and often if you're, if you're adapting something you wrote. So I wrote Matter of Blood in 2009. It came out in 2010. You know, I'm many, many years and many books older. So I look at it and my eyes are bleeding with some of the writing, the overwriting in it. But um, you see ways you would change the story slightly. So you get to do that. And other people have, have opinions too, you know. Yeah. I was going to say, because you were talking about director that you're trying to work with, do you find that quite a collaboration? I think it really story? has to be. And so with the Insomnia, so Berka, so he's directing all six. So it's as much, so it becomes his mm. show as well as mine. It's not like they're coming in to do two episodes and buggering yeah. off. So it was really important that, that we both understood the story that was being told. And we've had some funny moments. We've had some rare moments. But really now we're really in tune story-wise. Huh. And he will ring me up and go, like in the car on the way to set and say, oh, I've had an idea. You know how later on Emma says this to so-and-so? Well, how about if Robert says this to so-and-so, then we mirror it. And I'm like, yeah, brilliant. Where am I rewriting that? What scene is that? So we would love to keep working together. It's that kind hmm. of dynamic. And the DOP is brilliant. And the whole team is great. But you have a lot of people with say because there's a lot of money being spent. Yeah. And then the actors, you know, like the stupid things that like we had to change a name of a character. Just It wasn't even a character. It was just an off-scene off character. So that they gave me some names to pick because everything has to be cleared to see if we can use it. And they said, oh, we can't use the name you have. So I just randomly picked one from the list. And it transpired that it came in the middle of quite a tricky sentence. And Vicky was like, I can't say it. Blah, blah, blah. It was like a tug yeah. of this that. So then they changed it again. So things change. As long as the cast are getting the meaning of the scene across, I don't care if they yeah. tweak a line here or there or change it, how it feels more natural. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because I know some writers can be very, you know, read it as written. But I think it's some... really arrogant because actually, like now, they're all way more in that story than me. They're in the heart of filming. I'm doing the odd tweak on a scene here and there or whatever. But Vicky McClure is Emma right now every day she's on that set for 10 hours being emma so i'm kind of like if she thinks emma might say the line slightly differently i mean go for it if you think that sounds yeah. better today go for it because sometimes you hear it at the read-through we'd hear things and be like oh no that we need to tweak that line or because yeah. written is not the same as spoke. Yeah. and do you like to visit set and be involved there and be <laughs> present, or i is was it supposed just like... to go on friday we all went out for dinner friday night we had such a lovely night we met at 6 30 and there was a lot of drunken people by half past 12. But I was supposed to have gone in that day. And it was in a bit of a dodgy location, a bit cold. And I was a bit like, eh. when you get to the main house, I mean, it's really boring. It's really boring. And I get the rushes every day. They send me through yeah. everything they filmed. So I'm kind of doing it from my sofa. That's fine. Yeah. But I will this, go. Yeah. At point. I think it's just filming is a lot slower than I think people realize because of all the lighting setups and blocking mm. and things like that. And even when it's all set up, even if they're keeping it set up for days, it's just the, we'll do it from this angle, then we'll do it from that angle, then we'll do it again from that angle, then we're going to film a walking down a corridor 10 times. I'd be the yeah. most rubbish director in the world. I'd be like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> do the next bit. Let's get on. <laughs>
They're vaguely in frame. Yeah, right. who cares about that hanging microphone? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I think moving on from the planning and adapting sort of mm-hmm. stuff, actually on the drafting of a manuscript or drafting mm-hmm. of a, a screenplay firsthand, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you sort of just roll out of bed and it's the first thing. Are you very regimented with the times that you write? I used to be a lot more. And I think from anyone who's gone from a full-time job to writing full-time, it's hard to break that cycle for a little while. As a rule, I much prefer working early in the morning. But at the moment, it's like my dog walker friend broke her knee. So so this morning I went out later with my dog and then I went around to see her. So by the time I got back to my desk, it was like 10 o'clock before I started doing anything, which for me would normally be like, oh, I've done two, two hours work or whatever. So I know that I'll have to work this evening to catch up those hours. But no, I'm not very regimented and I'm not, you know, it's one of these things people always go on about my work ethic, but I'm not even sure I have that an amazing work ethic. I think I just work smart. When I do work, I'll like click freedom on for half an hour and think, right, I'm going to hammer out 500 words in that half an hour. And I rough write first in Scrivener. So I kind of plan. I always have the ending and then I plan some tent poles this for a book and then yeah. obviously those change as you go along but I try and plan out in little brainstormy bubbles like 10,000 words at a time maybe so then I'll have that on paper and then I rough write it into Scrivener and then I write it in neat in okay. Word which is why often I don't need a second draft or a third draft because I've done kind of three drafts yeah it hands in you know and because my plotting's normally tight it's hard to deconstruct you know yeah so with, um, all your note, with, with all your notepads, you're really mapping out the plot oh. and making sure you're getting, as you say, the tent poles, the beats of the story through. Yeah, and then rough writing in Scrivener, I quite like because I don't feel like I'm committed to these words, as it were. So I just mm-hmm. write it and then I tidy it before it goes into Word. Yeah. And then it goes into Word. So in the morning, I quite like to do the hard graph, like the rough writing, where you're yeah. actually coming out with it. And then in the afternoon, you tidy it up. But, or often in the afternoon, it would then be a script. But scripting's different. You have to plan the whole episode out for four years. But I mean, I, if you're writing it on spec, do what you want. But if someone's yeah. paid you to do it, they want to see what you're writing first. So you write yeah. the whole outline. And, you know, they pay you for that. You know, you yeah. pay for the Bible and you're paid for the outline and whatever. So Yeah. So with rough writing, is that a lot of the previous guests I've had tend to refer to the vomit draft. And I guess that's just to clarify for listeners, that's you telling yourself the story. No, I'm writing the book. Okay. But, you know, it just means that I'm, I don't feel like I'm doing the neat draft. Then I copy it yes. over and then I just tidy it. So, yeah, it's not, it's not really a vomit draft per se because I do it in tiny bits. And I'm not a vomit draft person. I tried it once. Yeah. Just stared at not the page not. and was like, no, can't do that. <laughs> okay. So rough is just, like you say, you're not precious over the words. No. It's just like, okay, get it down. Yeah. Because the thing that a few recent guests have said is like you can't edit an empty page. Yeah. So I guess it, it's going on that ethos. Mm. Of, and it's, uh, why, it's why I don't do it inward. Yeah. It's basically like some people would write, and I, I used to then literally rewrite it, but now I just cut and paste it in, turn it into Times New Rome, yeah. and then read it through and tidy. I know some people who splurge a first draft in like six weeks, eight weeks, but then they spend five months rewriting it. Yeah. You know, I tend to just do it slower than that. Yeah. And I think there's a yeah. great... There are a lot worse. Prolific is not the best adjective to be described as as a writer. And I see a lot of people on the internet like, yeah, I'm going to write this book in a month. 
And you're like, well, it's going to be shit. I don't care who you are. It's going to be shit. And speed is not, and the word count and all that stuff that people really get so excited about. I'm, I now think, let it go, chill. The thinking time is, is valuable. You rush it. You're not thinking about your plot enough. Yeah. You know, because sometimes those gaps, those gaps that I think, oh, actually, is that the best way to do that? Would it be more fun if this happened or, you know. Well, because our mutual friend, Tim Levin, uh, previous guest on the show, the Levinator, um, he uh, likes to write his stories to find out how they end. Yeah, he's a obviously very different to you. So you, before you start your first draft, you've plotted very tightly. You know. No, God, no. No, I have the ending. Okay. The ending is often exactly how it will be in the book have the ending but i haven't tightly plotted no i'll have a rough kind of like maybe 10 points that 10 turns maybe yeah. but they'll change they're not like i think claire mcintosh she has a proper board of cards with every chapter mm. pretty much summarized before she starts to write that's not happening in my world <laughs> i've got the ending you know yeah. and then i kind of slowly build it from there but as i go yeah so when you're drafting out you're rough in Scrivener and then moving into work. Mm. In a, a writing session, if you've got these 10 story beats, are you writing to the first story beat and so Yeah, and yeah. then often it will change. Or I'll write to the end of the first act. I might mm. think, okay, we're going to get to the bit where she's definitely going to start investigating this. And then the middle act is always the worst bit. That That's always the messiest. And then the last bit, you kind of know where you're headed. So like I've currently... In my redraft, I know that I've probably got enough plotting till Friday and then I'm going to have to think, okay, so what do we need to get to now? Mm. What's the next bit we really need to yeah. figure out and just see where it feels right and, yeah. And when you've got these thinking time periods, do you have any rituals, any exercises that you do that help with the problem solving? Is it like, right, Ted, we're going to have a very long walk today. Yeah. <laughs> the lunchtime walks, to be fair, like morning walks, uh, sort of much more about the business of the dog walk, as it were. Yeah. Uh, the, the lunchtime walks, if it, the day's nice and it's quiet in the park, I don't like it if it's too busy, especially since that dog took me down. I'm a bit dog wary, you know, so I avoid it in the early morning and then I go about 11 with him for a second one. Then there's a lot more thinking time. But no, I don't really have any rituals. And like everybody, it's when you're lying in bed at night and the light's off and your brain starts going tick, 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 tick. Yeah. You know, and then bits come. But sometimes it's just like watching telly. <laughs> put something on the telly and then you think oh yeah i know what i'm gonna do there yeah yeah and uh if you are thinking at night do you have a notebook by the side of the bed are you someone no no i no. just email myself okay yeah grab the phone. yeah grab yeah. the phone yeah nice and yeah so you've mentioned that you're not sort of word counts but you also said how you went from you know day job to full-time writer the structure of a day do you have working hours no, that's all. No, because I I work all the time, and it's my hardest thing is not working. Mainly because I mean it's ludicrous. Because without sounding like a twat, I'm not broke now. I could quit working, but you still worry. Like, am I going to earn any money next year? For some reason, you just always have that. How much money is enough money? And so then I find myself just saying yes to loads of things, and also exciting things. You get a new deal. You get new TV stuff or film stuff. It's exciting. And then you suddenly have gone from worrying about having no work to having work coming out of your ears. And then it's it's more about portioning up the day. And I think it was Mark Chadbourne years ago. I saw something on his Facebook 
And he does a bit of screenwriting. And his thing was always like, do the words on the novel first. And I get it now because screenwriting is all consuming because it's not like if you're doing 10 pages on a draft. So let's say an episode of TV, 55 pages. So actually 10 pages, you're quite way through the draft. Yeah. You're kind of chasing the end. Whereas in a Mm. book, you're more like, okay, I've done 10,000 words. Oh, look, there's still 80,000 words to go. You're, You're slower. So it's much easier to push the book to one side mm. and work on the scripts. But actually, if you do an hour or so on the book every morning, your book will progress. But scripts and, are, scripts take as long as a book, but they're just more intensive. Yeah. Just with scripts, because I know it seems archaic now, commercial television with commercial breaks, because they're Yeah, we had to write to the ad, ad break. Right yeah. Is that something that you've come across? I know you've written for the BBC and you've written for yeah, students. No, and... it's not really a thing anymore. Maybe on ITV, but that's about yeah. it. I've never had to write to the ad break. But you still, I mean, you, you want hooks within the yeah. episode, obviously, but it's a lot more freeing now because if, if you're writing a Netflix show, you could have one episode, it's an hour, one episode, is 45 minutes. Mm. I mean, they tend to like them all to come in at a certain amount. Yeah. But yeah, God, that would be painful having to write. <laughs> certain amount of minutes per course yeah. of an episode and have a hook at each. Mm. Yeah, no, fuck that shit. I'll stick yes. to it. <laughs> and I suppose that the stuff that you've had adapted, mm. I mean, it's probably sort of a bigger challenge with the Death House. That's a, uh, a TV series as well, isn't it? It's not no, a movie. movie. Oh, it is a movie. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Because mm. when you've got the thrillers, there are these hooks, like you got 10 tentpoles throughout the story. So breaking those down into... Although they change, like, I mean, in some ways, it's quite different from the book in a lot of ways because you're visualizing yeah. in a way. I yeah, mean, it's, it's hard. The Death House has been really hard to adapt because mm. it doesn't have plot points per se. Mm. Yeah. You know, stuff happens. I mean, obviously, we've had to change some bits, but some of the same stuff obviously happens. But we've instilled more engine in there and more hope, maybe, and more because otherwise, you're literally just. There's no twist revealed. There's no turns. It's just quite a yeah. sad love story, you know? Like, yeah. yeah, I've killed that little boy so many times now. <laughs> oh, is that John Green? Does he write those sort of sick novels? Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. just, uh, what are you doing today? Killing another child. Killing, he's, um, yeah. <laughs> another child dying in my book. That's it. And this is where we drink wine. There we mm. go. Chin, chin. Yeah. Okay, so... The work-life balance at the moment, of course. But do you, when you finish a story, do you then take a break? Or I suppose at the moment you kind of got so many projects on the go. Mm. There's overlap, so one ends, something else comes up. Um, No, I should do though because a friend of mine who's on telly, he took six months off recently and said it was the best thing he did because Mm. otherwise the projects just keep coming and mounting Mm. up. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was never very good when, when I was just writing books. If I finished a book, I was never really very, very good until I was in a new book in my headspace. But now I do think it would be quite nice to just have a couple of months off. But I don't see that happening in the foreseeable. I mean, I'm going on holiday at the end of October for 10 days, so that's going to be quite okay. nice. But yeah. I, as a rule, but, and also there's a bit of make hay while the sun shines, isn't there? You know, and, and you know, next year when Insomnia comes out, hopefully that'll profile boost me. Uh, for the screenwriting, you know, it already yeah. has to a certain extent. I'm not out of work. And I'm just doing this new book deal, which I can't talk about yet. So that, when does this, when do we put this out? I can put it out whenever I want. 
Oh, no. okay, cool. Ah, okay. So I've just done this great new deal with Orion and Galan. Okay. But, yeah. So that's me kind of tied up for the next few years. So Is that a multi-book deal? It was seven figures. <laughs> so there's um, going to be... Just one book, but really fucking good. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. No, they, they've read my book. They're, they're, that's never going to happen. <laughs> well, actually, what was really great, they did this amazing presentation to me. It was amazing with this big booklet and the whole of Orion was there, like from the MD down and like how they wanted me to come back. And so some of it is I'm doing a prequel and a sequel to the fairy tales. Oh, nice. Um, so what's really good about it is that I can basically write what I want. So if I want to write a crime novel, it'll come out with mm. Orion. If I want to write a fantasy novel, it'll come out with Galant. Nice. So I've got to write two new novels and these prequel sequel fairy tale so that would be yes for the listeners i'm holding uh tales from the kingdom uh which is all three in half yeah 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 i've got this is this is around they are also publishing that as okay yeah so this is at this moment i have redacted the title that i just said which will become clear in a moment i've left the rest of the conversation though because it's Christmas and I thought it'd be fun. Yes. So, yeah, because this is... Is it a novella? It's not very long. No, it's about 70,000 words. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was a limited edition. Two, yeah, I've got edition 284. Oh, thank you. That's numbered. So, yeah, I was yeah. glad that they're going to take that out because also that's a book I don't actually have to write. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, we might need to edit that bit out because I'm not sure that they're going to announce that they're publishing that book that came out. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. You've got lots of projects on at the moment. Uh-huh. Is there any point where you get critical self-doubt? Because obviously you've had massive success. Oh, I wouldn't say imposter syndrome per se, because I don't uh-huh. feel like I've had that level of success, really. And I feel also I've worked really hard for it. You know, like my new tricks was 10 years ago, my episode of new tricks on the TV. Uh-huh. So it's not like I've not been building my way up to, and, I, and I know that luck and whatever comes into it and you know I know a lot of great screenwriters who haven't got their own shows and that's not that they couldn't have their you know like I know it's their elements but yeah I constantly have moments of oh god I don't worry about reviews per se like behind Ryan's tv show got such bad reviews to start with and then okay. they realized that millions and millions and millions and millions of people were watching it and then yeah. the reviews started to change you know and it's so subjective I was mm. going on Twitter and saying to the producer, look at the hashtag, then tell me whether you're worried about that review or not. And she was like, oh, my God. I was like, yeah, reviewers are, their job is to be snarky or whatever, you know. Yeah. And I think if I'm happy with something, like everything I've seen of Insomnia so far, I'm really happy with. They've got a great cast, mm. great director, great DOP, great producers. And if we're happy with it, then that's all that yeah. matters to me. But yeah, I do have the fear. I always have had a fear of failure and being shit. But then I, I don't ever think I'm great. I'm quite happy being a grafter. You know, I think, I don't think I'm an amazing writer. I think I'm a good writer, solid Mm. writer. I don't think I'm anything extra special, but I think I'm very good at the business side of it. And I understand Mm. how much work is involved. And I I never Mm. skimp on the work. And I'm never caught up with being an author, which so many people, you know, you look at the internet, it's full of people who are super keen to, you know. Be a brand be a brand or be the next big thing and I'm like you know what you're wasting all your time on the internet just go and write a good book because actually it's the only way it's going to happen Twitter's not going to make you famous or 
yeah. get you a book deal or whatever. A good book will get you a book deal. Yeah. A good script will get you an agent and yeah. that kind of stuff. And how much weight and importance do you put on how good your relationship is with your editor and how good your relationship is with your agent? Oh, and massively. So. Massively. I mean, I've fired agents, I've fired editors, and, you know, I've been dropped. <laughs> you know, like, all sorts yeah. of, I think your relationship with publishing across the board is important. Mm-hmm. Don't be a dick. You know, I think it's a business. You have to be professional. My agent now, I've had Veronique since 2008, my UK agent. Yeah, I've gone through three before her. Yeah, I'm, all, I'm, I'm always telling people to fire their agents if they're not happy. It's, you know, it's a business relationship. Yeah. It's like, it's not, you're not, they're not your mate. I mean, Veronique is now my mm. friend. And I've got a great agent in New York. I've got a manager in LA. I've got a screenwriting agent. You know, my agent, Sean, has been my mm-hmm. screenwriting agent here at United for 10 years, more. So once you get the right people, it's good. But they will also keep you grounded. Yeah. Right? What do you think is important? What's the key part of those relationships? Like you say, it's like keeping you grounded. Is it that they see what the story is and get it's so much that they have to be good at the business? Like Veronique, I trust her with my stories, but she doesn't edit anything. Right. You know, we kind of had to chat about it or pitch some ideas, but she's good at the business. That's her job. It's the business. Mm. And my screenwriting agent Sean, I mean, he's <laughs> He's so funny. We're doing a deal at the moment. And I'll be like, are we going to take that? We're going to take that, aren't we? And he's like, no, they can pay more on this. They can pay more on that. And, you know, that's his part of the deal. But we're great friends now. And he will, if he reads a pilot or whatever I've written, and he always reads quick, which is to me important. Mm. They've got to read fast. They've got to answer your calls, that kind of stuff. Like when I hear people say, oh, I sent my agent my book three months ago. I'm like, fire him. But what if I don't get another agent? Well, you don't really have one, do you? Because you've been waiting for three months. Yeah, that's not an agent. My mum would have read it quicker. (laughs) And and so also, I guess, when you've had sort of relationships that long, because you've you've written horror, you've written fantasy, you've written psychological thrillers, Mm. moving through genres, having someone who's embracing your your evolution of writing and being like, okay, well, we can market this like this and we can market this Mm. like something else. Are are they happy with your constant changes or... um, changed that much of late and i think i would never advise anyone to try and do too many genres at once you know at the moment if they're starting out like i think it's very tricky like it was tricky for my publishers when i was starting out and you're writing a historical horror then you're writing something else and you know it's hard and especially if you're not getting paid huge amounts in advance you're not going to get a push you know you're not going to have that breakthrough book where suddenly you can write whatever you want or whatever like the, the woman who wrote babel and then yellow face mm. you know very different yeah. books but both yeah. massive bestsellers, so who cares? Yeah. She can whatever she wants, you know? But if you're just plodding along in the kind of mid-list, it's not the easiest for your publisher. But now, you know, and this is going to sound awful, but I walked out of a writer's room a couple of years ago because I thought it was shit. I didn't like it. And it was paying me 10 grand a week for three hours a day, for five, mm. four hours a day. And I walked out of it and everyone was like, how could you walk out? And I was like, well, I just didn't like it. It's never going to get made. The people running yeah. it are shit. You know, like I was peak menopause. There was no, <laughs> there was no messing around there. And as my agent put it at the time, there is a power in having fuck off money. So if mm. you've got enough money that you can say, fuck off, I don't want to do that. Yeah. You then get your choices. But you just have to be aware of the outcome of your choices. So I could have, until I did this new deal, I could have said, I don't want to write any more psych thrillers. I want to write a fantasy novel. Now I might have only got paid 10 grand for that fantasy novel. But the choice mm. would have been mine to write it. I just yeah. need to be aware of the consequences of that choice. Yeah. That was, you know, kind of thing. 
So now I only really want to write what I want to write from now on in, you know, which is where the New Deal is so liberating. Yeah. Because I can literally write whatever I want to write. Yeah. You know, so that's great. And it's what I love about TV and screenwriting. You know, the guy who wrote The Hangover also wrote Chernobyl. So, yeah. like, if I say to my manager, I fancy writing a sci-fi, they're not saying, oh, no, your last show was a psych thriller, which is the opposite of publishing. Well, it's Christopher Nolan writing a Batman movie and then going, all right, I'm going to do a story on the guy who invented the atomic bomb. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also Greta Gerwig given free reign to write Barbie how she wanted to write it. Yeah, it's that kind of, you know, you can jump around genres much more in mm. screenwriting than you can in books. So for new people, I would always advise pick a lane. Because you'll confuse editors as well. If, they, if they're getting one thing on submission, then they're getting another thing that's so different. They'll be a bit like, what does this person really want to do? You know, yeah. what, what are we selling here? But I think for me, it was in the pandemic, actually. It was before I'd sold Insomnia. I was pitching lots of different ideas. And I remember just thinking, when I started out in this business, the plan was to own my own home because I think it's important. And I don't have a big house. I've got three beds semi, you know, Milton Keynes. Yeah. And so I have no mortgage have some money in the bank, and then write whatever you want. And it dawned on me as I was pitching psych thriller after psych thriller, and they were saying, this isn't a psych thriller, this is a horror. This... I thought, yeah. I'm done with writing those kind of books anymore. And that was a real, I want to just write what I want to write and see how that plays out for me. But then I'm in a very, very lucky position to be able to do that. And it might backfire on me, but financially, I'm all right. So it's not that, yeah. you know, like I'm not worrying yeah. that side of it. It's more just You can take the risk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we touched on it earlier, but I haven't really probed you on it. Your editing mm -hmm. and how it's very light. So you have your first draft and there may be some notes, but you're currently writing a story where there's a much bigger edit where you're taking out the main storyline. Are you someone who likes to work in writing a complete draft or is it just tinker on the scenes and just go, no, like, this is the problem area? Or how do you break it apart for a redraft? Well... You know, you've always got your big headline notes and then there'll be more detailed notes. And I often think I'll work through each headline note and then go back to the beginning, but then I end up working on them all at once as you go through because it just seems easier. But with this one, because also I've got the notes from the American publisher as well as the notes from the UK publisher. So they've kind of bandied yeah. their notes together. But then when I decided to change the whole tone of it by ripping out mm. this whole storyline, and then I emailed them and they all went, that sounds great. And I thought, fuck. <laughs> now I've got to do it and it is a massive rewrite but it's a lot faster because I know the story so well but it's been a learning curve for me I, and I don't overly want to do it again I need to be more respectful of giving books the time they deserve I didn't enjoy writing it the first time right. and I think that's probably part of the problem so now I am enjoying writing it because it's it quite creepy <laughs> yeah it's just yeah getting that gothic edge to it and also, you know, the nights are drawing in. It's dark and stormy out. It's Although just... it's like baking hot still, isn't it? It's like, oh my God. It's still summer yeah. out there. Climate change, yeah. not climate change. Yeah, I was literally just about to say that. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. And once it's actually finished, obviously, you've kind of got several projects on the, the go. When you fight final sign off on the publishers or when you get a proof copy through and you're like, oh. Oh, the, the, I'm not doing any major edits anymore. Is it just a sense of relief of like, okay, that's done? Yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the other thing is like, sometimes people have a sense of grief of they spent so long with these characters and now they're not going to spend time with those characters anymore. I think maybe with the trilogies, 
I think maybe yeah. fantasy people who've written three big no I mean, I had it with a matter of blood a little bit, and especially with mm. the Nowhere Chronicles, which was children's YA trilogy. Mm. I really loved those characters. But I was also very glad to be down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So especially when it, those early days when you're writing and if the first book of a trilogy doesn't land, then you sell less of the second and even fewer of the third. And so you know your book's coming out <laughs> to nothing. So it's quite wearying. But no, not on an ordinary novel. I don't ever. I mean, so with Insomnia, so my my main character in my current book is called Emily because I promised someone I would name after their child. Right. If I've fallen out with a friend, I still feel I need to stick to the promise. Yeah. And in Insomnia, the character is Emma. And of course, I've been working on Insomnia for a very long time between the book, the book edits, the screen, the, the, you know, like it's yeah. been, and I keep writing Emma instead of Emily. <laughs> no. Me alone. <laughs> just, just join into M. Everyone calls her M. 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 Everyone's fine. calling her M in the show. She's always M. Yeah. It's fine. Now, I've got my final two questions. It's my belief that writers continue to grow and develop their writing, every story they write. Was there anything particular about the last project you finished that you felt that you learned from that you're now using on future projects? Obviously, the screenwriting, the, writing the whole show has been a massive learning curve in so mm. many regards, and that has fed into my editing of the book and how I'm approaching, approaching future projects. Um, Book-wise, it's just interrogating every scene, just interrogating it and just seeing what, what is the scene doing? How many things mm. is it doing? Is it doing too many things? What is the one thing the scene should be doing? How honest is the character being here or are they doing something that I just want them to do rather than what this character would do? You know, yeah. like, would she do this or do I just need her to do that? So if I need that to happen, how can I get to that space without her being untrue? I shared some, but it, it, quite interesting. I had lunch with a book editor last week and she'd never seen a TV pitch, like a Bible. Okay. So I said, well, I've got a couple that are of mine that are for things that we never got made that I've done with various companies. So I sent them to her and she said, it's amazing how much they'd focus on character so intently and plot so granularly. Said, which we never do in publishing. So it's really interesting. We never do that. We never, in our pitching, you know, we go with a hook. Whereas actually, yeah. you really get, it's much harder to hide flaws on a script mm. than it is in a book because it's such a shorter piece of work mm. and structure is everything. So I think structure is maybe something I've learned to carry over. Like even with The Death House, after finishing Insomnia, I was like, yeah, still got a ticking clock problem. And I thought, we're trying to get the ticking clock from the kids. And it's not going to come from that. We've got to get it from somewhere else. So then it's suddenly clearer. Yeah. But um, yeah, the whole thing, the TV stuff is, I think what I'm loving about it is with novel writing, I'm quite jaded with it. I've written 28 books, mm. all published. They're not, you know, like I may not be the best writer in the world, but I know how to write a book. You know, I, I understand yeah. my process. Whereas with screenwriting, I'm learning all the time, you know, learning from everybody around me. I'm just absorbing it all. So that's, that I think is hopefully going to help me in the future. It's, it's, it's great. It's it's very different from a lot of my guests that I've had before because many have done screenwriting and certainly not in big adaptions of their own work. So yeah. it, it's really nice to get that take. Um, my final question, and it's been lovely having you on, Sarah, and uh, just still finishing where I went. Okay, I'm on my tea. I was talking too much. <laughs> is there one piece of advice that you've had, either you've read or you've got told, that you find really has helped you with your writing. When you do get stuck, there's that one thing that you return to that resonates with the way that you write. I do think, and it's boring, but I do think prolific is not the best adjective 
for a writer is key because I think, and it's the damage of social media, it's very easy to get caught up in what mm. other people are doing. And actually, your own track is the only thing that's important. Mm. If someone else has a great success, doesn't stop you having great success. If someone else fails, yeah. doesn't mean you're going to fail. And actually, people saying, oh, I've written 5,000 words today, doesn't help anybody. Yeah. You know, one great book is better than five shit ones. Yeah. And a story can be epic and really examining the human condition in 300 pages. It doesn't need to be a thousand. Yeah, totally. You know. And, you know, there's a paper shortage. Keep your book short. We're all busy easy. people. We're all busy. We don't know. Yeah. And you'll <laughs> sell more foreign rights with the 75,000 word book than you'll sell with 100,000. Yeah. That's my final piece of advice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> keep, it, keep it short. Uh, you look at me. Like everyone else is coming up probably with like deeper, meaningful things. Mine's like, oh. <laughs> all. No, no, no. It's all for it. No, it's great. And uh, well, that's it. Well, thank you very much, well, Sarah. Thank you. Fun. Sorry to waffle at you so much. I mean, it, that's what a podcast is, Sarah. It's, oh, okay. it's absolutely fine. <laughs> all right. Thanks. All right, dude. All right. And that was the lovely Sarah Pinborough. Insomnia is out in paperback now. If you want to pick up a copy before you see the show, I know some people like to do that, so feel free. Looking back on this interview, it's quite noticeable to me that it's the only one where I don't make a passing reference to my wife. My wife, Becky, also noticed this, and she finds it hilarious. We all get crushes on people. Mine is now just recorded and published worldwide. It's fine. Um... So if you'd like to follow Sarah's social media, then she's on Instagram and threads under the handle at Sarah Pinborough Books, uh, where you can hear a lot more about her books, views on writing and the industry, and see pictures of her dog, Ted, who's beautiful. Uh, also, I'd like to give an apology on another delayed episode. I was aiming for a pre-Christmas release, but I got ill again. Fortunately, I seem to have survived 2023 and got a few treatment options and lifestyle changes to make uh, 2024 a healthier one. There will also be some great episodes to look forward to too. I've been blessed with some great guest submissions recently and I'm really looking forward to chatting to some amazing writers about their process. So I wish you all well. Uh, congratulations for surviving 2023 and let's hope 2024 is a good one. I'll speak to you soon and until then... Keep writing until the world ends. Time can never be your trusted friend. Or your sworn ally No, it's the harshest mistress of all And life is just a chain A moment spent A thousand hellos and goodbyes Maybe a love like ours can leave out its call I will keep you near until the world is you are safe with me until the world 
Thank you.